uh, people that ask like if there's any similarities in the in the fight world and in the outdoor and hunting world. And I think there's a ton. Okay, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Bolin, and also Evan Williams is the Hoyt host today, who is the pro staff manager at Hoyt. And we are super stoked today to have an awesome guest, Chad Mendez, who, uh, I, hey, Chad, great to have <laughs> What's you going on, on sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. We've been uh, really been looking forward to this, Chad. Yeah, me oh, too. Dude. Yeah, Alan, I've been kicking this one around just trying to figure like what can we talk about because there's so many different things that you are so good at oh man i appreciate it uh, thank you <laughs> yeah chad i'm i'm, I'm a, a a big fan of uh of grappling sports and and therefore i'm a big fan of yours uh because you're you're excellent and and amazing competitor and i want to just just in case people don't know uh, you know, cause this is a bow hunting podcast. So some people might not be UFC fans or whatever. I just want to bring everybody up to speed a little bit about you. So, uh, Chad, um, was a lifelong wrestler. Um, and in college, he was a two-time all American. He was a runner up in the NCAA finals his senior year. Um, amazing wrestling career. And then went immediately into MMA after that and ended up um, fighting in the UFC. He had an eight year career, correct, Chad? Uh, eight yep. years in yep. MMA mm-hmm. and um, was a-, a couple of times the number one contender in the uh, featherweight division and uh, had some incredible fights uh, against Jose Aldo, which won fight of the year. Um, he also fought Conor McGregor, which, by the way, I thought you were smoking him. <laughs> and then, and then it seemed like something. It seemed like you gassed or something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we can talk about that at some point. But, yeah. but, uh, it, like I, I, I thought you. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy. Your your shots were in, unstoppable in those heavy elbows. I mean, it was, it was awesome. So anyway, well, and, and and sorry to interrupt, Alan, but you took that fight on. 10 days notice. Yeah. 10 like, days. You right. didn't get to prepare for that. It was, Hey, here's an opportunity against Connor. Yeah. You want it? That's exactly wow. what happened, man. It was, uh, it's one of those ones you just can't turn down. I, I think I had to oh, cut like, 22 pounds in 10 days. Um, oh. definitely was not fun, but you know, it was an awesome experience. You know, I think it was the only time the UFC had done a live performance walkout. So I had Aaron Lewis, like up on a stage up above my tunnel when I walked out into the crowd he's playing my walkout song. And then he had Sinead O'Connor playing his as he walked out. They've never done that ever before. And I don't think they've ever done it again. So that was awesome. But yeah, I mean, if I could go back in time, I think that's one of the fights that I would uh, redo, hopefully with the full training camp. I know I, right. I know I'd get in there and beat a guy like that, but I, I think you had Dude. his number, man. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, that was great. Um, and also, I don't know if this is true, but Rumor has it that you are the only UFC fighter ever who has requested a Ponsecant deer tag as part of your signing <laughs> or your, your signed contract. Is that is that true? That is true. That's very true. With my last contract, Dana and Lorenzo flew out to Sacramento and we sat down at Makuni Sushi here in, in Sacramento and had a back booth and just sat there and willed and dilled with my con with my uh, managers and went back and forth with numbers. Uh, the final number, it goes like this, Dana and Lorenzo get up and they walk over about 30 yards away and they're kind of like whispering back and forth. Um, and they come back and Lorenzo grabs a napkin and writes his proposal on the napkin and slides it over to me. And we're like, well, we talk a little bit, we like the numbers. And so then I threw in the rewrite something, put it back. And it says Ponsigant deer tag. And <laughs> these guys are like, they don't know what it is, you know, but got it. They're, they're like, that's it. That's all it's going to take extra. Yeah, sure. Perfect. Done. A deer tag. Cool. But, uh, yeah, man, that's, um, obviously my biggest buck. I think it was two eighteen and muzzle loader. One of the coolest hunts I've that's done with awesome. some buddies. So no, it was, it was a cool, cool experience for sure. That's, that's an amazing uh, signing bonus. Just as exciting as, as the payday, I'm sure, you know, there's something yeah. about hunting that like it means way more than money. So, oh, yeah. so uh, Chad, tell us briefly about like your family. I know you're married and I, I believe you have a, a young daughter, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. My wife, uh, Abby, 
Um, she's actually originally from Missouri. Um, I met her out in Utah after she, she went to West Virginia, played volleyball there and then moved out after she graduated and was living in Utah. And, uh, I had some buddies in Utah. I still do, but I ended up meeting her through them. Um, ended up snatching her back to California. Um, and she's lived here with me. We have our, our first baby girl, uh, Tallulah. We just call her Lula. Um, and, uh, going to probably start trying here for another one, I think here shortly. So, um, trying to time the hunting seasons, right. With, oh, yeah. <laughs> with childbirth. So just got to yeah. make sure we're on track there, but yeah, man, every you, don't want a, you don't want November 7th baby like no, me. No, <laughs> no. And so I'm yeah. just, I'm just thankful she's okay with us trying to plan it around that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, with, <laughs> with, with my new job with fins and feathers, the company that I started. So there's a lot of, uh, traveling and stuff that I have to do during hunting season, um, really, which is like August through November. So yeah, that's, uh, kind of the no go. Give, give us a quick summary of fins and feathers. So fins and feathers is a, is a company me and a really good buddy of mine started, uh, back in 2015. Um, what we call it is kind of like a celebrity outdoor service. We do a mixture of different hunting and fishing trips all over the world. Um, we go down into Mexico for fishing. We've hunted in New Zealand for stag and we do all kinds of different species of stuff throughout the United States. Um, and basically what we do is we team up with different outfitters that already have things up and running. Um, and basically it's kind of like a booking agency. Um, but what makes us different is that we have, I have like 20, 30 different celebrity pro staff members, buddies of mine that either fight in the UFC are pro ball players, actors, pro snowboarders, you know, whatever it is, PBR guys. And so we'll book a group of guys on a specific hunt. Um, and then we add one or two of those celebrities to come on the hunt with them. They hunt with them, they fish with them, like in camp, build that camaraderie. You know, it's just kind of a, a new, unique experience for someone to already go on a cool hunt, what they would probably already book to do. And now they get to do it alongside somebody that they either watch on TV or the internet or whatever it is, um, and get to really know them as a person and hang out with them, you know, unlike anywhere else they'd be able to do. So, you know, it's something that we weren't really sure how it was going to take off back then. And it's, it's done really well. We've, you know, been growing the brand and the, in the company since, and I get to travel around and just meet a bunch of cool people who share a lot of the same passions as mine. Um, you know, and it just, for me, it's like my dream come true. You know, when I'm done fighting the fight world, once you stop your money stops, like, it's not like we get a retirement that just keeps coming in or anything like that. So for me, it was like, how do I create something in a space that I absolutely love, um, be able to make money off of it and have fun. And so that's how we came up with fins and feathers. We just sat down and kind of mapped it out. And like I said, it's been, been great so far. Yes. Some people may, may say that, you know, they, they wouldn't, they, it wouldn't be like top on their list to hunt with a celebrity or whatever. And one thing I got to say about that is these people are almost always extremely driven and successful. And Mm -hmm. they've, they've done, they've had this drive in their lives to take them to the top of whatever it is they're doing. And you can learn a lot from being around people like that. Mm-hmm. When you rub shoulders with great people that that have had a lot of success, it's contagious. You learn things and you all of a sudden raise your own bar. So that would be a pretty amazing experience to be able to uh I guess go hunting with somebody who's so successful. Yeah, and it's different. We do like we do some of these shows, well the the expos and stuff like that and you'll get the handful of people that almost get offended by it. You know, it's not and we never meant for it to be like that type of uh, business where it's like, we're bragging or come, you know, pay this money to come hang out with me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if anything, it's just trying to create a new experience in this space. You know, I could go through a hunt expo and find 400 different hunting outfitters that all offer the exact same thing, you know? And it's like, okay, who's killing the biggest animal for the least amount of money, you know? And that's what most people are trying to find when they're coming to those shows. And it's like, we wanted to do something different, you know? And, and like you said, it's, it's more about the experience. It's about getting to know these different guys that you've watched play football or fight in the cage on a personal level. Cause it's, there's nowhere else you're going to be able to do that. You can go to a meet and greet, shake hand, take a picture, and then you're on your way, you know, like this is uh, an opportunity to be able to 
really get to know these people. And, and all of these people are, like I said, are close friends of mine. They all absolutely love hunting. They love fishing. Right. They love the outdoors. They're great sport spokesmen and women for it. And it means a ton to them. So, you know, I think if anything, it's just a way for people to kind of even get to know them in that sense where they would never be able to like tell people about it before. I have some buddies that, you know, in the acting world, for example, they can't, they're huge hunters. They've been hunting their entire life, love fishing, and they just can't post anything on social media. So a lot of people don't even know that that's right. a huge passion of theirs. So this is a way to like find out like what their passion really is and how they really and truly feel about the outdoors. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate, you know, but that's just kind of the world we live in nowadays. So, you know, I don't know. I, like I said, I never meant for it to be kind of like a boasting a bragging type of business. Um, and I, like I said, I wasn't sure how people were going to take this in the beginning. I'm like, we, we could put a whole schedule together and not sell a single trip or, you know, it could do well. Yeah. And we ended up selling that first year. We sold out everything that we had to offer. So it's a great that, idea then. Yeah. That, that year we were yeah. like, man, that that's cool. You know, like, yeah. I guess people do, you know, they, they, they're taking to it. So we ended up doubling in size the next year. And then we just keep adding and adding and adding. So thank God that it's working because this is like a true passion of mine. And, you know, hopefully I get to continue doing this stuff till the day I die. So we'll see. You've been hunting, you've yeah. been hunting your whole life, right? Yeah. Yep. I, yeah. I grew up, I mean, I remember when I was a, I don't know, I was probably five or six years old and my dad, do you guys remember those old, um, fiberglass flag poles that go on the back of a quad when you're in the dunes? Oh yeah. Yeah. My dad used to take those and cut them and then he put a little slit on the end of each one and bend it and put a, um, like an old braid, like the old deep sea fishing line that was braided. It was basically like right, a little yeah. rope, you know, yeah. and that yeah. would be the string on my bow. And then you cut another one the size of an arrow and put a little slit in it so that I could shoot it. And that's what I would, I would sit after school or wrestling practice as a little kid and just set piles of cans up in my backyard and just sit there and shoot cans with that for hours until wow. I, until I got what I felt was good enough back then. I remember walking around my neighborhood and there'd be like pigeons and stuff on the ground. And I would try to sneak up and shoot them with that. You know, I never even got close, but you know, and that's like probably my earliest memory of, of anything hunting related. And, um, my dad and my, my brothers, we would always go camping. My dad would hunt. We grew up hunting in D seven, which is like up in the Sierras above Fresno, um, Shaver Lake, like that area. We grew up, hunting through that whole area my whole life. Um, and we would go up there sometimes for like a week at a time and just archery hunt or rifle hunt. And I mean, most of the time we never got anything. I, I think from when I can remember getting my hunting license, I killed my first buck ever with the bow. Um, and I think I was 13 maybe and right. never killed another one again <laughs> until <laughs> I was probably 20 maybe 20. <laughs> oh, wow. A lot well, of misses. You also kept yourself busy. You kept, yourself busy. You kept yeah. yourself busy. I mean, your life was wrestling, I imagine, in those, it, in those early days. For sure. And, it, you know, I would try to sneak away if I had, you know, a day or two, we would run up there. So it's not like we had a ton of time to ever get it done. But um, as a kid in between, there was times we would go up there for like a week. And, uh, you know, obviously we would see bucks and I would either shoot and miss or blow a stock or whatever. But you know, I feel like that time frame of my life was such a huge learning experience uh, with the bow and both with the rifle. I mean, there was tons of misses I had with the gun even. So, uh, but the, I mean, those are the memories that I have growing up with my dad and learning how to hunt and just kind of following along on what he did really. And then had buddies in high school that were big into the outdoors and hunting and kind of, I would go with them from time to time and try to learn from them as well. So Okay. Um, so, but, yeah. so Chad, about, about your, um, your, your career as a wrestler grappler, I also read, uh, this blew me away that y you actually beat the world jujitsu champion <laughs> in a, in a no gi jujitsu match. Yeah. That was I, that's, cool. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. I mean, I, like I rolled jujitsu and I mean, when I go against those black belts, man, they're, they're pretty tough. Like, I don't care how long yeah. I've wrestled. They're pretty tough. Um, so I gotta know, man, like. I've asked myself this question about myself a lot. Like, what is it about me? And in this case, I want to know about you. What is it that makes you want to square off against another man one-on-one? -on -one? Like, you know, you, you, you look at somebody, you size him up, you're like, 
I wonder if mm. I can beat that guy. I got to know. I got to know if I can beat that guy. I mean, yeah. what what is it about the wiring in your head that makes you think that way, that drives you to wrestle your entire life through college, which college wrestling is insanely difficult. I did it a couple of years. And I know we're at your level, nowhere close. But I mean, you, you were insanely good, insanely dedicated, and then go right into MMA for eight years. What is it in your head that makes you want to do that? For me, I think it was a little bit of what you just said, like, I guess trying to figure out where you stand with another human being. I think the part about wrestling that's always uh, intrigued me is just, it comes down to man versus man. Like I need to do, I I could either train and and do all the things necessary to beat this human. Um, And if I get in there and I, I obviously didn't do the things it took to beat him, I'm going to, I'm going to lose. It's not like I have a team that can still back me up and we end up still pulling it out at the end. You know what I mean? It's me versus this guy. And if I didn't do what it, took necessary to prepare right he's going to beat me so yeah i think that was one of the things that always kind of pushed me in training more than anything uh that and i'm just insanely competitive i freaking hate losing at anything man and uh you know i get a lot of uh people that ask like if there's any similarities in the in the fight world and in the outdoor and hunting world yeah i think there's a ton you know Mm -hmm. i think you know, obviously the mental and physical preparation when you're, when you're training, uh, physically, you're, you're getting in shape, you're doing the workouts, you're doing all that stuff for both a fight or wrestling and a hunt, uh, the mental part of it where you're visualizing game planning. Um, for me, like if I had a fight that I was taking against a certain guy who was good at jujitsu, I would, you know, watch his tape, study where his strong points were, figure out what weaknesses were, and then set a game plan. You know, if I'm going after a, a big muley somewhere that's either high country or what I, I know that there's most likely going to be some instances where I need to visualize, you know, a stock or something where I, I like seeing it. You're getting into that moment of truth where you're like inside a hundred yards, you see them, your heart's racing, you're getting closer. And for me, that's like the vis- visualization part of it. Same thing that I would be doing against an opponent as that cage closes and I'm staring at him across the cage and I'm just thinking about the game plan, all the training that I've gone through, um, all the preparation. Same thing with a buck. Like, all right, we're here. I'm I'm now 40 yards from this buck. All that preparation, the the visualizing uh, visualizing it. We're we're here. Like, I have to close this deal. I have to. Do beat you this feel guy. like you're testing yourself? You know, I, kind I of like when when you go up against another guy in a, in a grappling sport, you, you're you're going to put it on the line, and you're going to know. You're testing yourself. You feel that same thing when you're out there. Oh, for sure. It's like, you know, if I, if I did not put in the time shooting my bow and feel like any type of doubt in my head, whether it's in the fight game or right before I shoot at an animal, it's never a good thing for me. Uh, You know, people ask like how I built the confidence for me training was built, what built my confidence. So going through an entire training camp, if there was ever a time staring at my opponent across the cage where I have any doubt that I didn't do everything I needed to do possible to beat this guy, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's not a good thing. You So so it affects your confidence and then confidence. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So for me, like during a training camp, knowing that it's, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock, whatever it is. And I have to get up and go crush a killer sparring session against some of the best guys in the world on my team. And I'm like, Oh, I really don't feel like going to do this. My body hurts. Everything aches. I got bruises and cuts and stuff that just doesn't want to be touched, but I have to go do it. I know that that's that preparation. And when I'm staring at my opponent across the cage, if I didn't get up and go do that, that's what creates the doubt. Mm-hmm. And there goes the confidence. So same thing with a hunt. Like if I'm not putting in the time or if there's a day where I'm like, God, I haven't shot yet. I need to get out there and at least fling a few arrows and I don't do it. That's where the doubt comes from. That's where the confidence goes out the window when it's down to that moment of truth. So, yeah. you know, so, that's how- so like muscle memory and stuff has got to play into that as well. Not just like yep. conditioning, you know, like, you know, in any, any sport, let's take wrestling. I mean, you, you drill your, your single on that left leg. That's where I shoot my single. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I drill it. I've drilled it that, I don't know, 10,000 times. I don't even know. So then yep. when it, when the whistle blows and it's live, like I have no brain when it's live. Like yep. you, you, you can't process things in any sort of rational way when, especially when it's a big match and there's a lot on the line. Mm-hmm. And I feel the exact same way when I'm sitting 40 yards from a world-class animal, 
-hmm. Like I'm thinking, but when it comes down to it and the animal comes up and the angle's right and I draw, I'm not thinking, okay, anchor right here and yeah, make sure that's barely touching my nose. And you, you can't think that way. It's mm -hmm. just, it just, your brain doesn't work that way. It doesn't slow down that much. So you have to like back up and go to that muscle memory from the 10,000 times you've shot your bow using that exact technique. So it, have you seen that? Like the transferability of sort of that logic from your life as an athlete to your life as a hunter athlete? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And like I said, and that's kind of the when, when you're putting those reps in, whether it's, you know, 5,000 right hands, you know, that I've been just training with my coach on the mitts because I know this guy's going to throw a jab and I'm going to go over the top and land that heavy right hand. You know, you, when you get in the cage and you're in that moment, as soon as that jab's coming, it's just a reaction at that point. It's like over the top knockout, you know, and same thing. You, you go through so many reps with the, with your bow, you're shooting for hours a day or however long, but it should be, uh, just a brain turned off. You're in the moment. Subconscious. Now. So yeah, I, I feel that all the time, both in any type of competition world and both the hunting and and shit, even fishing sometimes, like there's times where I'm like, <laughs> I remember growing up and I would, my dad would always be like, you got to set the hook because I wouldn't set the hook, you know? And so you sit there and you, at least for me, I would think about, okay, I feel the bite. I got to set the hook. And so for me, it was like, after a while, I, I would just do it. And then as, after I'd get the fish and I think about it and be like, oh man, I did what I was supposed to do. Like what I was thinking about and like thought, I guess it's kind of a type of training but it works. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. Chad is setting that hook so hard. He's just pulling the fish oh, out yeah. of the water. Into yeah. the boat. <laughs> or just flipping <laughs> it right off. Pull it up and there's just lips stuck to the hook. <laughs> uh, Excellent. Um, so Chad, I got, I got a story to tell you. Get, I want to get your opinion. So I'm in Alaska caribou hunting. I, we killed a caribou and uh, we killed it on the wrong side of the mountain range. Like, uh, you know, camp and the strip was on the other side of the mountain range. This thing was a giant. I, the outfitter was very hesitant to kill it where we killed it, but it was a grind out of there. And uh, the outfitter's name is Chet Benson and he is one tough dude. And we had a couple packers with us and Chet and I are both in our early forties and these packers are like in their early twenties. And we're all loaded up with like 120 pounds each. And we're, we're slogging up this mountain range. And Chet and I keep looking back and these early 20s packers are down in the bottom of the valley. And we're like, <laughs> like way up the mountain. And he and I are just competing, like crushing each other and whatever. And finally, I was like, Chet, man, what is it? Do they not make kids the same way anymore these days? He's like, no. As, and he looks at me, he says, no, it has nothing to do with that. We wrestled, man. Yeah. I'm like, oh, and he was just like, yeah, matter of fact, you have been through more pain. I have been through more pain than these guys that will ever feel in their lives. They don't know how to cope with what we're feeling right now. Mm -hmm. And we do because we wrestled. I was like, ah, that's a, I didn't ever even thought about that. I, I didn't even put two and two together, yeah. you know? So have you seen like, um, sort of a toughness that you've developed over the years through your life of extremely tough one-on-one -on -one grappling sports and how that has applied to hunting? And, and ha have you seen that? Yeah, I, I definitely have. And I, you know, th there's a great saying, once you've wrestled, everything else in life is easy. I think you've yeah, probably Dan Gable heard said it. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, so I, I think that's completely true, man. There are so many times in my life where I'm doing something with somebody else that's never wrestled and they are bitching and complaining and just like over the top. And I haven't even thought twice about it yet. And I don't right. think about it until I hear them complaining. And then I start thinking like, well, yeah, this isn't fun, but you know, I, I would never even have thought twice if you hadn't said yeah. anything, you know? <laughs> so, no, we're, yeah, we're here. We're doing it. Like, yeah. what, is, what does it matter? We got to yeah. get it done. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely have, have seen that and felt that with, with buddies that have never wrestled. Um, the fact that, I don't know, I just think about all the times where I'm getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning, even before high school. Where I'm like, I, I still have five pounds to cut and I have a wrestling match later that day. And so I'm getting up before school to go for a five or six mile run, go to school all day, come back, finish cutting weight, and then get out there and wrestle, you know, an entire match or whatever. So, yeah, you know, it, guys that have never wrestled probably would never understand that pain. And, you know, it, it's fine. It's not like we're any better than them or anything, but it's just, you know. It's definitely hey, so let me ask you this: Can they develop it? 
Okay, how, how would somebody? So I'm I'm listening at home right now. I'm like, man, these two jerks. They're saying, you know, because you know they they rustled and they're gonna have this toughness that I'm never gonna have, and they're gonna crush me, and that sucks. I guess I just lost out in life, you know. So mm. I'm I'm kidding, but what what can guys do to develop toughness? I mean, let's say you know, I know like man, when I'm hiking with a heavy pack, like I burn out pretty quick. And how can you how can you um what's what are the keys to developing like a a strong mental toughness? So one of the things that it's always stuck in my mind, I've had a coach tell me years ago, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And, you know, that, that has always just stuck out to me when I get in that moment where you're just like almost about to break and it's, you know, you're just like wanting to quit. You don't want to do this anymore. You have to find a way you have to go to a place in your mind. You know, it sucks and it's going to continue sucking, but where do you go or how do you find that place to where, you're, you're okay with it. You know, and some people are just born with the ability to do that. Like, I, I think a guy like Cam Haynes, even like the guy yeah. is just so comfortable being uncomfortable that he can do these marathon, marathon a days, you know, or hundred yeah, miles, 200 mile race, Yeah. And, yep. You know, yeah. it's like, he's found that spot. And I think, you know, like I said, some people have it naturally and I definitely did not. I had to figure that out as a young kid, like figure out, Mm-hmm. where do I go? How do I put my mind in that spot where, you know, yeah, it sucks, but this is what you're going to do. Like you just have to figure it out and get comfortable there. So I think one of the things, you know, people can do obviously trying to train physically as much as you possibly can to where you can reach that threshold of, you know, being uncomfortable, but you've surpassed where most people would have been where they got uncomfortable. You're already up here. Now you're getting uncomfortable up here, you know, but Right. For me, that's what I, so I physically, I just try to get in the best shape that I can. And that's going to help you mentally because you're going to be able to go further. You're going to be able to do more before your yeah, body. You don't need to be tough. Alone. You don't yeah. need to be tough because you're in such good shape. So your toughness yeah. kicks in at a later point, which of course exactly. is a right. huge advantage. Yeah. Yep. So let me ask you this. Right. What's, what's, I got to know this, man, because I've, I've never fought a, an MMA fight. I want to debut in my fifties. I think, I think that'd be fun. <laughs> Do right? it. I, it, like they, I want to fight a, I want to fight a 19 year old kid when I'm 53. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. <laughs> but anyway, I, but yeah. so what's tougher wrestling or MMA? Man, I look back on the grind for re- from wrestling. I, I think I have to say wrestling and he- really? here's why, you know, you're going through an entire season where you're doing two to three workouts a day, which is pretty similar in the fight world if you're serious. But you're also, during your season, you're making weight every every week, sometimes multiple times a week. Uh, if you have a dual meet, say like on a Wednesday, so now you're cutting weight, you got to make weight. An hour later, you have to wrestle. Right. Then you regroup for a couple of days, then you go to a tournament that weekend. So you're leaving like Friday. Most, most likely you weigh in Friday, then you start wrestling Saturday or, you know, sometimes Wait, Saturday morning. Yeah, exactly. NCAAs, yeah. you weigh in three yeah. times. Yeah, yeah so, so you're, before, you're during, and, mm-hmm. you're and before finals. Day, and then at the end of the day, you have to cut back down. Then the next morning, wake up, make weight, wrestle an entire day, end of the day, cut weight, make weight, next morning, weigh in and wrestle that, that last day of the, you know, the finals or wherever you're at. But, right, yeah. um, so I think the grind in the wrestling world is what makes it harder than MMA. You know, a fight, you get booked out three months, four months before you got, you know, you physically get prepared for it for, you know, that entire time You make weight once, which is the night before. Um, now they're actually switching it to, uh, the, even the morning before. So you have more time to recoup from the weight cut. Right. And then you, you fight one time that evening, which don't get me wrong some fights hurt a lot worse than any wrestling match, but I overall grind, I'm going to say wrestling for sure. Yeah. Interesting. That's good to know. So going back to the, I, I I missed this, this, I I had this uh, thought come into my mind earlier and I just, I just had to know, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, just what's built into a a guy like you, where you like have to know how you measure up, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to know, like, can I, can I, whatever. I mean, your achievements are unbelievable becoming the number one contender. I think actually you have, I believe still the most knockouts. I think you're tied with Conor McGregor for the most knockouts in featherweight history. I mean, that's unbelievable, man. But 
I, I got to know, is there, what in, in hunting is that test for you? If you could test yourself in any way, what, what do you lay in bed and think about? I wonder if I could do X in hunting. Have you thought about that? I do. And, I, and that's another one of those things that are kind of similar in both the fight and wrestling world versus the hunting world. You know, there's, and we kind of talked about it a little bit. There's been so many times where I've made a mistake on a hunt on a big animal. And even if it's not a big animal, but I've made a mistake, either it's a stupid mistake or one of those mistakes, you're just like, I don't even know how that happened, you know? And those are the things that I lay there at night and still to this day will <laughs> repeat in my mind. You know, you, you almost forget about all the successful moments because those ones just weigh so heavy on my heart and my mind. Whether yeah. I'm, I mm. wounded an animal, never found it, or, you know, shot an arrow and it went right over his back. And it's like, how? It was so close, you know? Like, how did I do that? And so those are the things that weigh me down. And so, you know, those moments are what get me out of the house or out of the office or whatever to get out there and grab my bow or my rifle and practice and feel comfortable and confident with it. But yeah, man, I, those things just eat me alive. And it, it, like, we just had a client here's an, I mean, and this also shows, I guess, just how competitive I am too. But like we had a fins and feathers. We did our Utah mule deer hunt this, this last week. And I went out there just for a couple days. TJ Dillashaw was our, our guy on that. And it was hunting with all the yeah. clients for the whole week. But I like to just get out there sometimes and just kind of sit everyone down right at the beginning of the trip. Just kind of tell them how the week's going to play out. TJ's going to be here with you guys. You know, if you hit an animal, you wound it, that's your animal type thing. And just kind of like boost everyone's mental state and just get them excited for the trip. Well, one of the, I was able to go out with, um, a buddy of mine who had, had booked with us and he shot a giant, like, I don't know, this thing's probably mid one eighties. I'm guessing the big old heavy four, like beautiful, beautiful buck. And, uh, we thought for sure it was dead hit, you know, go over there into the trees, gone, ever found them. And mm. dude, it, it, I had to, I was supposed to fly home the next day because I'm leaving on another trip. And, uh, I'm just like trying to figure out how I could change my flight. Like I want to stay here. I want to look for this thing. I need to be here. And I just couldn't do it. So I ended up flying home and it's just eating me alive the whole time. Still right now, I'm like, I want to go out there and go look where I know I can find this thing. And, uh, you know, and that type of stuff just means so much to me. And, um, old Dillashaw and, and my buddy who was guiding them ended up, I don't know if you guys saw the buck that TJ just killed. We posted on our friends and feathers page, but of course they text me that morning. I wake up to it and they start screwing with me like, Oh, TJ hit one. Ugh, we're not able to find it. We're tracking blood. Oh, it looks like you got off That's property. A Dude, it was horrible. And so when you're already, whole, already thinking yeah, about the last uh, one, but my morning is just like shot. I'm cranky. My wife's like, God, you're cranky today. You know? And you know, I'm just like, it's eating me alive. And they, they let this go on for like two hours and never tell me. And oh. so finally I called my business partner and he's like, dude, I can't do this anymore. They, TJ shot a big buck. He's, he's down. I'm like, what? And he's like, that's, like this really upset not, me. Like, there's no unwritten rule about this. Yeah. Guys. That's what that's I said. Not cool. like, don't joke about that stuff. So not to somebody like, who cares as much as you yeah. obviously do. Yeah. I mean, that's so, <laughs> oh, man, not cool. But yeah, no, so, man, that's, that bothers me a lot. And that's, that's, I think what keeps me motivated on, on yeah. being prepared and, and, you know, figuring out what types of hunt that I can get on to challenge myself and test my skill set. And to go back to what you were saying, I think, yeah, there, there's definitely times where I'm like, oh, man, I really would love to get in this area and try to kill a big bull with my bow. And yeah. does it happen all the time? Absolutely not. But I learn a lot on each time I get out there and figure out, okay, these are the areas you screwed up on, dude. You got to fix this. We got to figure out a way to change something here or, you know, I missed, why did I miss? What did I do wrong? And so those are the types of things that motivate me to keep getting better, both in the outdoor world. And I think that's kind of the same mindset that I had in the fight game. Like if I go out there and get knocked out, like, what did I do wrong? What, what mistake did I made? And that's what I need to fix, you know? And so I work right. on that for the next camp. And so I think it's just one of those similarities again, that go back and forth between the two. I love it, man. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yep. You know, what are you doing in your training that's different between knowing you're going and preparing for three months to go step in the ring versus I'm going to Alaska on this doll sheep hunt, or I'm going to Utah on this deer hunt. What, 
what is your difference in your training approach? You know, for me, it's, uh, it's always been based on the task at hand and the goal. So if I have a fight, obviously, and like I said, this guy is a striker. Okay. Let's say he's a striker. I have three months to watch tape game plan. I need to figure out a game plan, especially because now wrestling is my core background. I'm going to use my strength. I'm going to train a ton of, and this is my perspective on it. And this is how I always train. Some guys probably were a little bit different. If they're going against a striker, they're going to practice a bunch of striking. But my mindset was this, like he's good at that. I'm not going to go in there and try to compete with his strength. I'm going to take my strength, which is his weakness and just make my strength even stronger, you know, and beat him, beat him in that way. So like I said, a lot of guys would go the opposite. And to me, that's just a risk of getting knocked out. You're trying to stand there with his strength. There's a chance you're going to lose. So I would train wrestling. I would train a lot of strength stuff because I know I'm going to be wrestling and grabbing and holding. Um, we would do a lot of type of strength conditioning that, and that dealt with building strength and endurance. Um, so that was the goal. That was the task at hand in the, in the, in the hunting world for say like a hunt, like Alaska, where I know we're going to be putting a ton of miles. Um, so I'm going to need the hiking endurance along with packing steep, you know, heavy amounts of equipment in steep terrain. So now I need strength and endurance. Um, so that's the task at hand and the goal. So basically for that, we just did, I mean, for me, it was a few months of heavy pack. I would get out there and do miles every day. I would do climbing, um, and just do training that was very similar to what I was going to be doing out there in Alaska. So, um, for me, it's just, like I said, figuring out what the goal is and then the task at hand and preparing properly for that goal at the end. And, you know, it's always going to be something different. Like I could give you exact, um, like workout plans or whatever, but basically just an overview of it is you figure out what's going to happen at the end and then try to train accordingly, according, you know, to what that, what that goal is at the end. So like I said, you have the philosophy that that there's no better thing to do to prepare to backpack than to backpack. I think, you know, and there's guys that will throw a whole weight training program in there and don't get me wrong. I think all that stuff is great. Like building the strength with weights, adding a different angle to the type of training. I did that too, but I think the core part of the training for that Alaska trip was doing exactly what I was going to do there. You know, put heavy weight on my back and climb, put miles in, hike. Um, And I I felt great on that hunt. Um, Yeah. It certainly makes sense. If you're preparing for a marathon, you're not going to ride a bike. Exactly. You know, is there there going to be some times where you throw a bike in there for some supplemental training? Of course. Is there going to be some weight thrown in there for supplemental training? Of course. But yeah, I think your core training is going to be the run. So, yeah. So when, when you're doing your climbing and your, your essentially ruck training, mm-hmm. what kind of weight are you using for your backpack? I mixed it up. So I started off with a little bit lighter weight just to kind of feel in the beginning what it was going to feel like. Do I need, do I have any hot spots on my feet? Do I have any hot spots on my pack? Do I need to change anything? Um, mm-hmm. and I think that was maybe 30 pounds, um, and then just each time I would gradually add anywhere from five to sometimes I even jump 10 pounds, which you wouldn't think that 10 pounds would make that much of a difference, but Holy hell. I mean, when I went from like 60 to 70 or 60 to even 80, oh, yeah. dude, it's like night and day, like right. you World get like five miles in and your, you know, your hips are tight. Your, your legs are already burning. Your calves are burning. Um, you know, and so that just goes back to what I was talking about earlier is just finding that spot where you're uncomfortable and getting comfortable with it. You know, mm-hmm. you got a 10 mile hike, whatever it is you're using, uh, as far as the training goes, but you're halfway through it. You're not going to stop. This is, you know, you stop you're 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 bitching out. I don't know if I can say that on here or not, but you got to oh, yeah. through that, man. You got to <laughs> get through that pain because when you're on the mountain, you have a doll sheep on your back and you're, you know, over a hundred pounds on your back and you still got, 20 miles to go. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm tired. I give up. I'm just going to live here for the rest of my life. You know, like, what do you do? You, there's no, it's not like I can just call a helicopter to come pick me up. Like I have to get out. Like I have right. to go whether I want to do it or not. There's no, you know, no other choice. So why not get as prepared as you possibly can leading up to that? So when that moment comes, you're not just like completely freaked out because you can't do it and just 
you know, I don't know what guys would do at that point, but I would say that I know you do this automatically, Chad, just because of you've done it your whole life. But I would say that, um, for the guy out there saying, I want to become tougher, you know, I want to, I want to always be, you know, the guy pushing everybody else and I'm not right now. And I want to change that. Those training opportunities need to be seen as a moment, uh, a golden opportunity to test yourself and to raise your threshold for pain. And so if on those training opportunities, you go out and you stop when you get tired and you don't keep mm-hmm. pushing through and you don't be, find a way to become comfortable with the uncomfortable, like you said earlier, then mm-hmm. you've, you've squandered an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's an opportunity yep. to actually discover something yes, new yeah. about yourself, to raise yep. that bar, maybe yep. only raise it a millimeter, but that mm-hmm. millimeter sticks with you. And the next time yep. you go out, you hit that without a problem and maybe you raise it a millimeter more. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I know you're doing that to yourself subconsciously. I know, cause yeah. I, I know like how, probably how you're wired, right? But, but for, for the guy out there who hasn't done that before, push yourself past where you've ever pushed yourself before and you'll grow from that. Yeah, it's, it sucks, but you'll get mm-hmm. used to that suck, you know? Yep. yep. Yeah, and you're right. I think there's, when I try explaining a lot of this stuff, there's a lot of things that I just overlook because it's just kind of a natural thing for me now that I don't even think about it too much. But you're right, man. It's just, that's the point of training. You're trying to grow, whether it's a millimeter or a mile or whatever, you know, it's, you're, you're trying to make huge or small jumps in your physical ability, your mental ability. And that's the point of, of the preparation, the training. If you're not making those adjustments and those improvements, you're not doing something right, you know? And so at that point, you'd have to step back and, and look at what you're doing, re, re-switch the game plan a little bit and figure things out. But yeah, man, it's it's all about making those gains, whether you're getting ready for a fight or you're getting ready for a doll sheep in Alaska, a sheep hunt in Alaska. So yeah, they, they definitely go hand in hand. And the gains aren't aren't just physical, they're mental, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, your, your muscles got in better shape because you trained, but hopefully you push yourself far enough where your mind actually stretched itself as well. Yep. No, I agree. Yep. Um, how about nutrition, Chad? I would love to hear your thoughts. I mean, <laughs> rustlers are experts in nutrition, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, I, the, the, those, the guys who are smart, you know, they're very, they're very careful in, in the precious little they get to eat. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, in, in backpacking, um, we have to be extremely cautious with, with how much we carry. And like, you know, I, I count out my food calories per ounce, you know, I target 150 calories per ounce because I know mm-hmm. that, that I, you know, if I, if I carry, um, stuff that's not calorie dense, it's just extra weight in my pack and it's mm-hmm. counterproductive. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on backpacking nutrition? I'd love to hear that. And, and you know what, and, and I don't know how scientific you are on all of it, but I'd love to hear about, you know, uh, calories per day and, and if possible, a little bit about the macronutrient content that you prefer, um, on, on that type of hunt. So for, so like this last hunt, so I try to stay around 3000 calories a day. Um, I'm only five, five, about 170 pounds, but I've worked with nutritionists in the fight game. And I don't know what it is, but I've always had an insanely freakish metabolism. Like I, my, my nutritionist that was giving, basically he would bring me food the, the week of making weight in the fight. And so he had everything mapped out for me and he, he was, and then he bases on, he base, bases the amount of food he's given me off of what my weight is at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, I was eating the same amount that heavyweights were eating Wow, and I was yeah. still losing the weight. So he's like, dude, I don't know what, cause I'm like, you know, I'm freaking like, starving and I'm usually not starving like the way that I do it and have it all broke down. Like I would never be starving. I would still lose weight, but I would be full. So he's like, dude, I'm, I'm feeding you what I would feed the heavyweights when they're cutting weight. So we had to like bump things up. So even 3000 calories in the back country was nowhere near enough. What I needed, obviously. Right. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. still starving. I'm good with 20, I'm your size. I'm exactly your size and uh, I'm good with 2,900 a day. In fact, nice. sometimes I don't yep. finish my food. Um, really? so that's See? interesting. That's super interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you mm-hmm. mentioned that. So how much do you think you need? Uh, I mean, I would probably, I would probably guess if I was going to stay inside my, um, my deficit inside of it, 
45 to 5 is what I'm guessing. Holy when I'm smokes. when I'm fighting, wow. I was eating about 6 to 8,000 calories a day to keep wow. up. But that's three, you got to think about it. I'm doing 3 2-hour workouts where you're redlining, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I'm probably burning 10,000 calories a day, I'm guessing. Like Yeah. I do so two, easy. Yeah, two hard workouts, you know, alone is probably at least 6,000 calories, you know. Yeah. Think about it, 2 hours, I would lose so if I weighed myself before a hard MMA practice and right after, I would typically lose six to seven pounds during that two-hour workout water. of yeah. water weight. So, yeah. you know, I'm burning a shit ton of calories. I'm I'm losing a ton of water weight. Um, and so, I, I like I said, I don't know why that's always been the case, but maybe just my frame with a little more muscle mass burn. I don't know, but it's, it's almost like a curse, honestly, like during my training camps, I couldn't eat enough throughout the day because, you know, I would get up, eat a big breakfast, but not too much because I had, I I didn't want to be puking on the mat with food still sitting in my stomach. So then I would go do a two hour hard workout, then eat a big meal right after go take a nap, come back for an afternoon workout, maybe eat like a bar or something right before. And then mm-hmm. do another hard two hour workout. And then basically at that point, it's almost dinner time. You know, you eat a, drink a protein shake right after you go home, cook dinner, eat dinner. Well, you know, and then go for like a run or do some type of strength and conditioning after I, there's no more time. Basically after that, come home, try to eat something. And then it's bedtime. Cause I got to get up early and do it all over again the next day. I would just put a fridge in my room, a little mini fridge, and I would make, something a meal or you know protein shake with carbs or something that would just be right there by my bed because every single night around three or four i would wake up starving so hungry in fact i couldn't sleep (laughs) so i'd have to get up and like eat something to go back to sleep so that i could rest and recover and so it was like it was it was almost a curse it's a pain in the ass honestly but um so on the mountain man i was like at the end of our day we would do anywhere from you know, if we were sitting on a sheep, our lower number uh, miles per day were like five or six miles, anywhere up to 20 miles a day. So, like, we were putting in some freaking miles. And, dude, I would just be st- – I would, I would eat everything that I had for that day and be just thinking about a Snickers bar, laying in my tent, going to sleep. Like, God dang, that sounds amazing right now. Or, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. something like did anything. In and out burger. I did. did. I lost 10 pounds. 10 pounds, 10, 10 pounds and that's yeah. not water that's not water nope. i mean that's nope, like you nope. lost weight yeah yeah, yeah. nope 10 pounds so that's, that's um we did over yeah, I know, 90 i know miles. um i know uh, i know you you work with uh you designed some meals for peak refuel yep. and i also love peak refuel that stuff dude is the, their stuff is phenomenal super, unreal super good so what, what thought went into that? Like what did you, did you look at like extra protein or, or did you have any like strong preferences on how those meals were designed? Yeah. Obviously the higher protein is, is one of the, you know, one of their staples peak likes to focus on high protein. They, you know, protein obviously in the back country is huge. You know, it's recovery, it's energy. Um, I, I know you don't eat a lot of carbs. I'm a carb guy too. I absolutely love carbs when I'm burning a ton of calories, when I'm, I'm more of a, um, like, a, um, I guess I'm more glyc. what is it? I use more glycogen. I, I'm sure. trying to blame. Yep. Um, I'm yep. more of explosive. What is that? Type two muscle type. Um, yep. um, so I, I think I burn a lot more carbs and I can get away with eating a lot of carbs and feel good still. Um, I know everybody's different. Every body is different, you know, and the fact that some guy might eat some carbs and feel like complete garbage where some guys can eat it and feel absolutely amazing. So, for me, I love carbs, and that was one of the things we focused on too with, with my two meals. We did one with elk and one with bison, which was cool. We got to do some game meat in both, um, yeah. which are very high in protein, um, a little bit lower in fat, um, but the fats are good too. We still jam-packed it with plenty of that um, and then I the carbs. Love, I would love to see you uh, supplement your diet with some high fat when you're in the alpine or when you're, when you're mm-hmm. backpacking. You'd be surprised how, cause I'm a big ketogenic guy. I've been doing it for about six years. I'm actually helping uh, peak design a couple of ketogenic meals, nice. but there's one thing about, about fat chat is it fills you up yep. and it's very mm-hmm. slow to digest. It sits in your stomach forever. Mm-hmm. So you might like, I, I wonder what it would be like if you added like 
um, several tablespoons of olive oil to your meal each night. It's 200 calories per ounce olive oil. So Mm -hmm. you're carrying almost no weight for the calories, right? Yeah. So I actually did that. My last training camp against Alex Volkanovsky, uh, I used a, um, a nutritionist that put together an entire meal plan that I stuck to, to AT through that entire camp and high fat was, um, and a lot of it was olive oil or, or avocado type, you know, obviously mm-hmm. good fats, but every night before bed, I would, uh, I think it was 20, 20 grams of casein protein and, uh, two to four tablespoons of olive oil. Oh, and nice. it helped. It definitely helped. Um, there were still handful of nights, you know, I think that was on my bigger training days where I would still wake up in the middle of the night, a little hungry and have to get something, whether it's another shake or yeah. something, but yeah, the fat definitely helped for sure. Um, I noticed it and, we, and even just training wise, as far as I know, I know it's something that you need to kind of transform your body into like if my body's normally used to burning carbs, it's going to take a little bit of time for it to transform over to, um, use fat. More yeah, your fat ad- adaptation process. Is there it is. That's usually is. four to six yep. weeks. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. yep. And so that I almost feel like I probably should have started doing that like four to six weeks before my tr- camp even started. And then that way, when I jump into that 10 week training camp, it's just like you're able you know, to utilize it. You're, you're already switched. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 A better energy system and mm-hmm. pathway. So I think if I could we- go back and do anything different, that's probably what I would have done. But that was obviously my last fight, my last fight. So. Yeah. <laughs> now we can just we should talk offline. I want to talk offline about yeah. about this with you sometime. I'd I'd love to to try to help uh, a, a trial for you on in the backcountry with yeah. a little bit higher fat because having to carry four to five thousand calories of carbs, you're talking a massive amount of weight and space. Yeah. In your pack. Oh, I it's wouldn't do really I wouldn't oh, do what, I mean, you know what I yeah. mean. Uh, a a highly glucose based yeah. diet though. Yeah. yeah I mean. Yeah. So like um, my, see, my meals would be, I would, you know, the Justin's almond butter, like yep. my mm-hmm. breakfast. Those are high be, fat. Yep. I, Those exactly. Are very high. Would, yeah, that's great. I would, yeah. I would do like a mountain ops ammo protein shake. It's lightweight. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say it's like 200 calories. It's got flaxseed and like a bunch of stuff like that. Hopefully to keep you full for a little bit longer. I would do a Justin's almond butter pack, sometimes even two. Yep. Um, and then, um, what, what, what else was, I had something else and I can't think of what breakfasts were. Boom, boom. And I can't even think of what it was now. I'd have to go through. I do know that one thing I would change um, on this hunt, I tried adding variety a lot, but it was the same variety throughout the entire trip. So like adding, adding new things to days, even though it's maybe it's something similar, even if it's just a different flavor of the Justin's almond butter. Mm-hmm. I did like the maple almond butter on all of them. Um, you know, and you just start getting sick of the the same things every day. And that's, I think why I was sitting there daydreaming about a Snickers bar or something, you know, but, right. um, yeah, I think adding that variety, but yeah, I had, I had good fats. I had, um, you know, even, even trying to throw some greens in there just to keep me regular and healthy. I would throw the little seaweed, you know, you ever had the seaweed oh, snacks? Nice. Yeah, it's not a ton I, of calories. Yeah, that's a great idea. At all. They weigh nothing, um, yeah. Yeah. So I did some that's of that nice. stuff. Um, obviously, all the peak meals, um, uh, the biltong jerky, I brought a lot of that, the air-dried jerky, um, which is higher protein, got some sodium, especially after sweat. Dude, I would be soaked at the end of the day, just my oh, whole yeah. shirt would be like, I could take it off and probably wring it out. But um, yeah, I bring extra salt with me. Do you? And I mm. add it to my meal. I think it's yeah. critical. I, I need to do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Salt um, tabs. So, so we're, we're kind of running out of, not running out of time, but we're getting, getting kind of to our target here. I, I do want, I would, lo- I, ha- I have uh, two things I'd love for you to share if, sure. if it's okay. Finishing up here. I'd love to hear about your favorite, either fighting or wrestling moment. And then also your favorite hunting moment. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. Love, so- I'd love to hear those two things. Favorite fight moment would probably be, um, and that's a tough one. I think my fight against Ricardo Lamas, <clears throat> I had, it was in, it was in Virginia. I had so many of my friends and family there. In fact, I had a really close buddy that I lost a couple years ago. Will Farah was there with his wife, Heather. 
you know, front row. I had my buddy Max, Lexi, just so many close, you know, really close friends there and family members. And uh, I went out there. Obviously, obviously, it was a very dangerous opponent at that time. He had, you know, he had just fought for the title. Um, you know, he was up there. I think he was ranked like, uh, he was top five. And uh, I go out there, you know, tons of game planning, practice, obviously training, crushed it, felt good going into the fight. Probably one of the better weight cuts I ever had. Um, go out there and get a first round knockout. And it was just awesome. so awesome to have. And I remember walking out of the cage. My wife was right there and she runs up to me, gives me a hug. My father-in-law was right there and he was just like so excited. He's like, dude, he's like, it was like 34 seconds, you know, he's like, I paid to be here. You need to get back in there and give me more. <laughs> just joking around, you know, but yeah. um, my mother-in-law was there. It was just so cool, man. Just having everybody um, right there, especially right getting out of the cage and, no injuries and, you know, everything just went smooth. Had a great time that night, did a little after party and had some good food. And it was, uh, it was just a good time for sure. So, um, Sounds amazing. yeah, it was, it was cool. And then favorite hunt moment that that's actually a tough one. I have so many awesome ones, but I, I would have to say me, my dad and my wife, did an Oregon backcountry hunt a few years ago. And this, these are all on my YouTube. If anyone's ever interested in just checking any of these hunts, I usually self film, um, and try to get That's videos great. of all these for people like just, you know, tag along and just see kind of the adventures. But it was me and my wife, my dad checked a different spot that there had been some elk up top. Me and my wife hiked like 12 miles down into this big break, like, you know, way down in there. And it's, I don't know, probably 45 minutes before dark. And, uh, I'm sneaking up this dirt road and I branch off the dirt road and there's like a rise in front of me. My wife's got, this is rifle and she, she's got shooting sticks behind me and she's holding and a camera and she's filming me. And I, I peek up, up and over this rise and I just see a rack. I could see the tips like looking around and I'm like, I get back down. I'm like, Oh shit, there's a bull right there. 40 yards on the other side of this thing. Oh. And so my wife kneels down cause I'm like, get down, get down. And she's filming and when she kneels down, she slips with the shooting sticks and they just go wham on the ground. And she, I look back at her and she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like freaking out. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. I peeked up and he was just like looking around but hadn't run off, you know. I'm like, he's still right there. Just just stay there. And so I, I poke up and I just drop this thing. And having my wife right there, this is the first time she'd ever been – any elk hunting or anything like that. We're in the back country. You got a wall tent set up up top. It was, you know, horse packed everybody in and all our stuff in. And so we walk up there and what's, what's so cool about this hunt is that we were getting married, uh, that next year, that later that season. Um, and the plan was, so that was the same year I got that, that moose that's on my wall. If I were to get a moose, and two bull elk that year, we would have enough backstraps to feed our entire wedding party, like oh, the whole wedding. Awesome. So that was the plan. Like I, I booked these hunts and, you know, let's go do this. I got, I got my work cut out for me, no pressure, but that, that was the second bull to end, you know, to, to finish the amount of dinner we're going to have for everybody. So she helps me, you know, holding legs while I'm, cutting this thing up and getting it all ready. We get quarters and stuff put up high. Um, so bears don't get them. Um, and then I took back straps and all the, you know, all the important stuff and the head and cape and all that stuff back that night to camp. And we're, you know, there's wolves in the area, there's black bears and it's pitch black. It's pr at that point, probably like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And it's all uphill out of this Canyon all the way back to camp. And my wife has never done anything like this, you know, and we're, we got flashlights, headlamps, and of course things are starting to die. So oh, that, that one's dead. Put that one away. Lights are getting right. smaller and smaller. You know, we get back to camp. It's probably like one or two in the morning. And the whole time I'm just like hiking all this stuff out and she's freaking out. And, uh, <laughs> but it, you know, I get back to camp. My dad's super excited. We got next day we wake up and we're, you know, we, we have the horses come in and we bring all this stuff up to camp and everything. And just the overall experience, you know, being there with my dad, having my wife right there with me, um, and just getting to experience all that. And then being able to feed everyone at our wedding with that animal that we had just harvested together. 
awesome story, Chad. I love it, dude. I love how how you you fed the people at your wedding with your own <laughs> your own harvest. Now, if you only had, I know you, I heard actually, I, I, you know, I, I have a rumor that you are putting out a cookbook. Yep. As well for wild game. So if you only had that in place before you cooked for the wedding, right? I know. That would have been awesome. <laughs> but anyway, man. thanks so much for sharing, man. You, you have very unique expertise that we don't often get to hear about. So I'm super stoked at everything we've talked about here. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on, man. It, it means a lot going from the competition and fight world, making the transition into the outdoor space and, you know, just being able to share all these adventures with, with people that follow along. It means a lot to me, man. This is something I'm truly passionate about and love to do. So thank you guys. Awesome, man. Thanks. We'll, we'll talk again soon. Perfect.